Well, good morning, church family. I'm glad to have this opportunity to be with you on what is certainly a strange Sunday. I want to express my appreciation to our elders for making the decision for us to be online only for a couple of weeks. We're going to give this a power 10 days, day period, and see if we can't get some of these infection and especially hospitalization numbers down. We want to be good team players with the rest of our community. And we really care a lot about our healthcare workers. And we know that uh, they're feeling really overwhelmed right now. And we want to do what we can uh, to help slow the spread. Um, and we hope that uh, through the efforts of many in our community, we will begin to see some of our numbers go down and our healthcare workers less overwhelmed. Uh, so we're online only today from this studio. Grateful for, for uh, those who are helping us pull this off. We are, we are continuing this series called Counterintelligence, Subverting Enemy Tactics. And so last week, Phil talked about uh, the tactic of valuing creator but not creation, or the opposite, valuing creation but not the creator. And we're really uh, centering ourselves in the letters to Timothy and looking at the ways the enemy might uh, feed us falsehoods and how we might counter those with some biblical truths. Uh, we, are going to, we are going to today uh, look at the first chapter where Paul gives some instructions for the kinds of conversations that Christians ought to engage in and the kinds of conversations that we ought to avoid. Uh, and so we're going to see that uh, for Paul's readers, there was a lot of talk going on that hurt the work of God and hurt the reputation of the church. And listen, we are in a very anxious season so we've all been guilty of doing some of this ourselves. We're all working out of some anxieties and fears that are not normally present in our lives. So we, first of all, have got to cut ourselves some slack for times when we've made mistakes. But that means we have to be extra vigilant in how we talk and what we say. So uh, we're, we're going to look today at some principles for what, would, uh, what we might call some meaningful talk instead of meaningless talk. You've probably had this experience where you've sat through a lesson or a presentation and at the end you feel more confused than you felt when you walked in. Some of you are right now thinking, yeah, Josh, it's those classes where you start talking about the obscurities in Leviticus. Okay, so fair enough. Um, I've, I've been on the giving end of that myself a few times, no doubt. But we've all sat through lessons and seminars and presentations uh, where at the end, we felt more foolish or more confused uh, than we felt when things began. I remember sitting through uh, a session a few years ago with a noted scholar I respected a lot and still do. But this particular session involved other scholars too, um, and they were getting into the weeds on some concepts. And so I thought I could hang with that, but by the end, I was just wanting to bang my head against the wall because... I felt more confused about the topics they were discussing than I had when I first walked in. They weren't doing anything wrong. It's just me. I couldn't figure it out. But you've probably had those experiences too. Um, there's a quote that I like that comes from a movie I'm a little ashamed to admit to you has been a favorite of mine. The movie is called Billy Madison. Some of you might be familiar with it. Some of you are not familiar with it, and you're probably better off for it. It's one of Adam Sandler's first movies. 
And that kind of humor just really spoke to me in my adolescent years. I wish I could say it doesn't speak to me anymore. It still kind of does, just maybe a little less. But I love uh, a part of this movie that I want to tell you about. So the premise of the movie is this immature adult is in a position to inherit his father's hotel empire, but nobody really thinks Junior is ready to do that yet uh, because he has blown off uh, the serious parts of his life up until this point. So the idea is to send him back to school and redo each grade in short form and get through um, the 12th grade again, this time taking it seriously. So at the end of the movie, what he's got to do is, is participate in this quiz show that's kind of like Jeopardy. And so our friend Billy has to answer this question. Uh, discuss the impact of the Industrial Revolution on the modern novel. Very strange sounding question. Some of you might be able to answer that for us. But that's the question that he has to answer. And so he begins to give this rambling uh, story about a lost puppy and he's comparing it to industry. And it's one of those things that sounds really profound, but really isn't. But the music swells in the background and the filmmakers sort of want you to think maybe he's getting it right. And he finishes his answer and there's the applause of the crowd. And then the principal, who's hosting the game show, looks at him and he says this, Mr. Madison, what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. That is a zinger right there. That is not the response our friend Billy was expecting. But it's pretty accurate. Right? We are all dumber for having listened to it. That's meaningless talk. And so what we want to do today is go to Scripture and see what Paul would have us do instead. So let's read the text of 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 through 7. Paul writes this, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So let's kind of set this out visually um, to help us make sense of what Paul's contrasting here. So here's the don'ts. He gives some do's and don'ts. Don't teach false doctrines, myths, and endless genealogies. Why not? Because they lead to controversial speculations. So what's going on here exactly? Well, as Christianity develops in its first few decades, we can understand how people are still trying to make sense of this new phenomenon. Part of what they were doing um, was engaging in talk that really had meaningless goals. So one of those things is false doctrines, which we can sort of understand what that might be. That's a different discussion, but we understand what that might 
look like, false doctrines. But what about myths and especially genealogies? Well, here's the deal with genealogies. You know probably genealogies are those sections in the Bible that you skip over when you're reading through in a year. Okay, or more seriously, they're the sections uh, that often tie current figures, at least current at the time the books are being written, with figures way back in the Bible. So it's not just a matter of laying out a lineage just for the facts sake. It's to say, look, this person has roots to this person, like, you know, Jesus has roots back to David, those sorts of things. Well, lots of people thought that would be neat if they could trace their lineage back to someone. And so that's what's happening in the first century is they're speculating about lineage and hopes of tying themselves or others back to important people so they can puff themselves up. That was, though, in Paul's words, controversial speculation. So that's what he doesn't want them doing. What does he contrast that with? Well, here are what they uh, should teach. These are the do teach things. Con uh, conversation that advances God, God's work. That comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And these are good things because they have good goals. They lead to love and they lead to the advancement of God's work. So what I appreciate about this is that Paul doesn't just give the don'ts. He doesn't just talk about the meaningless talk. He gives the do's and he talks about meaningful talk. Some of that has to do with the content behind it. Some of that has to do with the outcome, right? The outcome of love and advancing God's work. That's really what's at the heart of this passage, I think. These competing goals. Uh, talk that, that leads to controversial speculations and talk that leads to love and talk that advances God's work. That's what it boils down to. That's the kind of talk that Paul calls for. He sets it out just like that. We can all imagine scenarios where this plays out. We've been guilty of the wrong kind of talk ourselves. We've been guilty of talk that does not advance God's work. And in fact, sometimes even hinders God's work. So th this is really what this chapter boils down to. This is the big issue. Meaningless talk. It's talk that has no beneficial purpose, talk that is empty. So if we're going to avoid meaningless talk and going to aim for meaningful talk, we really need to set up what those things look like, especially in our context. How do we avoid meaningless talk? And how do we know what meaningful talk would be and engage in that instead? So what I want to do is look at three particular things Paul says and contrast those. So three kinds of meaningless talk, three kinds of meaningful talk. And so for each, we're going to go to scripture first, and then we're going to look at some modern principles that, that uh, kind of lie behind that um, so we can combine scripture and current insight and think about three kinds of meaningful talk that we can engage in. So the first contrast we might set up is conspiracies, that's controversial speculation, for instance, versus simple truth. Conspiracies versus simple truth. So you remember from what we read earlier in chapter 1, verse 4, Paul condemns controversial speculations because they don't advance God's work. 
You might even be thinking of a verse in uh, the eighth chapter of Isaiah that says, do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. This is Isaiah talking about controversial speculations. What's going on in his context are people are anxious. They're anxious about um, their nation. They're anxious about their fate. They're anxious about their leaders. Um, they, the people in Israel particularly, are worried about maybe some alliances that their leaders are forming. And so Isaiah is calling the people not to live in fear because God is with them. He says, don't fear, don't dread. But a lot of people were going around crying conspiracy. They were engaging in controversial speculations that didn't help the work of God. So to go along with Scripture's uh, command against controversial speculations, against conspiracy, we might turn to our good friend from the 13th and 14th centuries, William of Ockham. You may not know him, but you probably know a principle he developed for us, whether he meant to or not. It's called Occam's Razor, and it just means this. The simplest answer is often the correct one. William of Ockham was doing this uh, because people were attacking the supernatural stories about miracles in the Bible, and William of Ockham was saying, listen, instead of trying to find all these reasons why it didn't happen supernaturally, what if, in fact, the simplest answer that we read about here in Scripture is, in fact, the correct one? That God acted supernaturally to raise people from the dead, for instance. That's what he's getting at. So here's what we might want to keep in mind when we think about meaningful talk that's not controversial speculations, but is in fact simple truth. Here's what we can think about. If we come across someone that is saying something very interesting or intriguing or a little mysterious that no other reputable person is saying, it could be that that person is onto something. There's no doubt that's happened in history, that voices have risen up that no one believed, that everyone mocked, that were in fact right. That does happen, but that is the exception. That's the rarity. So, if someone is saying something that most other reputable people are not also saying, maybe it's because it's wrong. So instead of chasing every little voice out there that says something interesting, these controversial speculations, it might do us good to step back and just say maybe the simplest answer is in fact the correct one, even if that answer is not my favorite thing in the world. So I'm not going to engage in controversial speculations. I am going to believe the simple truth, not to be naive, but to recognize the simplest answer is almost always the correct one. So that's the answer to all this, simplicity. I know we're in anxious times, and so we've all been guilty of this kind of thing. We should cut ourselves some slack, but we should also be extra vigilant about finding scapegoats, for instance, or finding some deeper evil force behind everything that's going on. The stuff that we're all sharing online is not helping. And again, I'm not exempt from this. Hey, I've had my own issues here, and I'm trying to learn to be better, and I think we all are. We've got we to gotta remember this problem. How do we expect to throw out all this baseless information, sometimes that can be easily refuted, with a little bit of research. How are we gonna throw all that out and ask people to believe us there 
and they're not going to. And then expect them to believe us when we want to talk about Jesus. We want to tell them about Jesus after we've all chased these um, sort of controversial speculations. So we just got to be really careful about that. We want people to take us seriously when we talk about Jesus. So that ought to affect how we chase down controversial speculations versus simplicity. So that's the first one. Okay, Conspiracies versus simple truth. That's our answer. Simplicity. The second thing, uh, second contrast that we might set up is arrogance versus humility. Paul takes to task people who, in verse 7, want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Teachers of the law, he says, who don't know much, but are very confident. To help uh, understand this principle that's going on, we can turn to a 1999 research project called Unskilled and Unaware of It. And the basic premise uh, of this project, done by researchers Dunning and Kruger, is this. The least informed are often the least likely to realize they are the least informed. These are people who don't know much, but don't know that they don't know much, and are actually quite arrogant uh, in sharing their opinions. Uh, that is uh, something you can kind of see in this chart on the screen, that there's a wisdom in knowing what you don't know. So you see that spike on the left side of people who have a lot of confidence, but not much wisdom. But then as wisdom increases, then confidence slowly begins to increase at a more correct rate. This phenomenon describes people who are loud and opinionated and sure of themselves. And these are people who, uh, I've heard it said, they are often wrong, but never in doubt. I think a biblical uh, answer to this is a dose of humility. And so I'm going to enter every difficult conversation with this premise in mind. I might be wrong about some of this stuff. And the person I'm talking to might have something to teach me. So I'm going to be humble about this. This past year has sure brought out a lot of amateur epidemiologists and amateur civic officials and amateur decision makers. And maybe it would do us well to sit back and remind ourselves, all of us, there are lots of things we don't know. So maybe I'm, I should start talking like I believe there's a lot that I don't know. So humility is the biblical contrast to arrogance. And the third and final contrast that Paul sets up here is flattery versus encouragement. This is really about his command against endless genealogies. Uh, so just to remind us of what we talked about earlier, these are people who are puffing themselves up or puffing others up, uh, often in a manipulative sense, um, to uh, tie them back to somebody important so they can feel more important. And so to help us understand this, we can look uh, at a research project done by uh, researchers named Sengupta and Chan, and it said, uh, insincere flattery actually works. That's the title uh, of their uh, project. And it has to do with, you know, what we do when we tell people, you know, you, you look great today. 
even if we don't know what we're talking about. And their project was to say, listen, our, we have this weird ability to hold different views in our conscious and our unconscious selves. So consciously, we might know that this person couldn't possibly mean that we look good, but really feels kind of good. So I kind of begin to believe that and begin to believe good things about this other person. What these researchers did in their project was to show people catalogs, like clothing catalogs. And one of the pages said, you look great today. Now keep in mind, this is a printed piece. Whoever designed that printed piece did not see the people who would be reading it. So there's no possible way that the compliment, you look great today, was sincere. And everybody reading that would have known that in their conscious selves, but they didn't quite get the message because the researchers found that the people who read catalogs that had that sort of flattery in it were more likely to buy products from that company than the people who read a catalog that didn't have that kind of flattery in it. So these false, manipulative, positive feelings actually made people behave differently. We don't want to be people who engage in flattery. We don't want to puff others up in a meaningless way. We don't want to be manipulative. Instead, we might think about this opposite, which is encouragement. Everyone needs that right now. Just a few weeks ago, I got a text from a friend here at church, and it just said, thanks for what you're doing. Press on. No frills. Simple message. Press on. What that friend didn't know is that on the day I received that text, I was feeling pretty lousy and frustrated about some things. Probably not for any good reason, but have we all had good reasons for how we felt these past several months? Probably not. That was very meaningful and very helpful to me. Just that simple message of press on. It was great timing that I believe the Lord used to give me um, just some extra strength to get through that day. Folks, if there were ever a time when people needed encouragement, it is now. It's not just your church leaders. It's teachers. It's parents. It's all those who are feeling extra isolated. Healthcare workers. It's everybody who's making decisions. It's people whose finances are in question. People really need encouragement right now. And your small acts can, can mean a lot. You may not think you have meaningful words, but trust me, a simple message at the right time is very helpful. And I have seen the Lord use simple acts of encouragement to give people such extra strength. So don't think that your acts of encouragement are not useful. They are. That is meaningful talk. It's not flattery. It's encouragement. That is absolutely conversation that leads to love and advances God's work. You cannot go wrong with meaningful encouragement. So let's sum up here then. Here are the three kinds of talk to avoid and the three kinds of talk to pursue. Simplicity, not controversial speculations. Humility, not arrogance. Encouragement, not flattery. Those are three positive examples of the kinds of meaningful talk that will lead to love and that will advance the work of God. In just a minute, there'll be a song 
for you to sing along with. It'll be on your screen. And also on the screen will be a number for you to call. We are here to serve you. Don't feel like just because church is different right now that your leaders don't have ways to serve you and bless you. So if there are things we can pray about, if you want to follow Jesus and be baptized, we can still make that happen. Please don't hesitate to let us know. So as this song appears, we invite you to call that number, talk with one of our leaders, and let us know how we can serve you. We love you, and we can't wait to see you in person again.